Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, October 21st, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 100, the third paragraph beginning with, If You Have Been Successful. Today's readers are, reading the OA 12 Steps is Marietta, reading the OA 12 Traditions is Rose, and reading the literature are Sylvia, Chelsea, Judy B., and Deborah R. The reference number for Sunday, October 20th, is 5341. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovered from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marietta to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning. It's Marietta from Virginia, the 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, Admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we'd harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to, to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to prove our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Marietta. I will now ask Rose to read the OA 12 Traditions. Thank you, Rebecca. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities pass. Thank you, Rose. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the Big Book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, We resume our study of the big book in Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 100, the third paragraph beginning with, If You Have Been Successful. I will ask Sylvia to begin reading. This is Sylvia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in upstate New York. Good morning, everyone. If you have been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell the newcomer's family how that was accomplished. In this way, you can set them on the right track without becoming critical of them. The story of how you and your wife settled your difficulties is worth any amount of criticism. And um, 
great paragraph. You know, we are, we've been so involved with, um, with, first of all, you know, getting sober or getting recovered, and then we've paid attention to helping others. And here we're, we're, we're um, looking at how that affects our family. And we know that we have affected our family, and we think with food we haven't affected our family that much. And so this is another way that we've gotten to, you know, reveal and be honest. You know, my own experience can tell you how it has affected my family. And when I first read this paragraph, you know, I know that my uh, my family life, my domestic problems have been pretty much resolved and it's been so good for so long, I actually had to think quite hard, well, what what was that like and how difficult was that? And for me, uh, the kinds of things that changed is, uh, for one thing, I started to bring a new, uh, a new honesty into my relationship. And the biggest thing probably, it wasn't always about me. Now, that was true at work, but that had really obviously been true in all aspects of my life, including my family. And so I got to um, change my relationship with my husband because if he did something, it wasn't necessarily uh, how could he do that to me or why didn't he do the dishes or why, you know, it was all about me, me, me. All of a sudden, if he, like it, if he started to get uh, cranky or if I was cranky, I would immediately do a 10-step and go, huh, what's that about for me? Oh, I'm tired. It has nothing to do with him. And I mean, that's I guess that's one simple example, but basically I used to blame him for so much. And when I started to do my um, uh, living in recovery, 10th, 11th, and 12th, I got to see that almost always it was not about him. It was about me. I was worried about something. I was tired. And I, if I didn't want to do something, therefore he should because I was tired or I was whatever. And not thinking about what his life was going through. And so that was a big part of it. And the big part of just being honest with my own feelings uh, being, uh, I'm not critical of him anymore. I'm not trying to change him anymore. And as that happened, he could relax because he didn't know what the heck was going on with me. He loved me, but he didn't know what was going on with me. And I didn't know what was going on with me. So that's just, you know, just a very simple example. And once again, the big part of this, um, if I have been successful in solving my own domestic problems, which I have, my experience is what will help a newcomer. And it's if I try and tell someone how to change their life, it's not going to work. But if I say, boy, this is how it's changed for me, it worked for me, I can give someone um, some hope. Uh, and with that, I think I'll pass. Um, thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Sylvia. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Barbara? Rose? Okay, Barbara first, and then Rose. Go ahead, Barbara. Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, This is a wonderful paragraph, and what it reminds me of is the principle of the program which says, you know, that I should avoid, don't do as I say, do as I do. And... um, I'm remembering in seeing that as a practice in my life, having 
away friends over to the house and feeling that there was a contradiction between what I was espousing as the principles of recovery and belief and what I was practicing in my own home, which is where it all shows up the most. And so that, you know, called me to pay more attention to, to like, family relationships. Not that I could, I could see what was going on in other people's homes easily, and I could point it out, but, you know, with the pointing of the finger, you know, one coming back at me. So I began seriously to be open to um, practicing the principles in all my affairs, especially at home. And one of the things that another program person shared with me was uh, going to Al-Anon to improve relationships as a support to what I was doing in OA, and that was a great thing. And as I began to practice that program, I could take the principles and better live out what I was, in theory, spouting out to, to newcomers and other people that I was recovering side by side with. And then the other thing that a person program helped me with was giving me the name of a family counselor who was very solid and 12-step counseling and other in addiction areas. And so I began work with her, then my husband did, teenage children did. And I could then, as things got even better, I could share that with people uh, privately, the name of this person. And some people went to her and they got that benefit as a support if when needed um, to practicing the program. So all of those things, you know, those taking actions really are what I needed to do rather than just, um, you know, talking about it and talking about in my head the ideals in this life. It's it's a matter of, you know, living it and practicing the principles at home. And that's what people watch. You know, I think back to the sponsors who have said, you know, and I've said it before, um, you know, I may be the only big book walking that they'll see. Just keep that in mind. I'm the big book walking. Uh, the big book is doing its talking, but I'm doing the walking of it. Um, thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Rose, you're next. Thanks, Rebecca. This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. Um, it's the first sentence that uh, resonates with me also. If you have been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell the newcomer's family how this was accomplished. And um, a couple of things in terms of my own experience with this sentence and um, what is so lovely is that God has given me the experience, um, especially with my two children. I have a married daughter who's 30 with three children of her own and um, a 28-year-old son who's not yet married. And um, prior to my being brought through the steps, um, I believed uh, pretty much that their business was my business, just putting it pretty plainly, um, what their lives were about. Even my married daughter's was what my life was about. And I had a unwritten rule from somewhere that I could speak up and say and direct and advise and all of that. So if anybody's a mother on the phone, they'll understand what that behavior is like. Um, after I um, completed my fifth step especially, and um, and now having been brought through all of the others as well, um, and I, I have been blessed with a sponsor who has married 
grown children as well with grandchildren who has been able to um, uh, share her experience on this sentence, on this paragraph with me. And I want to say it was a process for me to accept the uh, truth and the facts that the lives of my children, the lives of my friends, the lives of people that I, uh, quote, believed I cared for and loved for, uh, that actually their life wasn't my business. And what I had to offer them when asked um, for help or advice or whatever would be the experiences that uh, um, I've learned from. And I can, you know, these nine-step promises that are and have been materializing in my own life, um, the, the fact and the principle that it's none of my business what other people's lives are about and that if I am in fit spiritual condition from working these steps, especially this 10, 11, and 12, which puts me into all 12 steps every day, then um, what I have to give is to tell, especially the people I sponsor or the many beautiful women that often call me or the ones that I speak to, um, all I do is tell them what I'm doing. And the remarkable thing about it is that I'm learning to keep my mouth shut, pause when agitated or doubtful, seek um, God's will to find out what does he want in everybody else's life? And even in saying this, I realize this is a year ago. This was not Rose's SOP. And the instructions are pure and clear and precise and direct. And, and the task is, is to read the book and then do it. So with that, Rebecca, thank you for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Leah. Hi, Leah. Go right ahead. Hey, Rebecca, thank you for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. If you have been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell the newcomer's family how that was accomplished. You know, this is where we get to be used. We get to, uh, the big book says, we get to utilize that dark past of ours, and that becomes the greatest possession that we have because it can be a message of hope. It is a message of hope. You know, those those of us that are recovered who have been transformed by these steps are now God's agents. Uh, we're living proof that some power greater than human power is working in our lives in all facets of our lives. That's what we offer today. You know, that's why Dr. Silkworth uh, said in the doctor's opinion that you may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. Why did he say such a thing? He said such a thing because we carry a message of depth and weight. And we have the opportunity to tell, and that's exactly what we do, whether it's still to the still-suffering compulsive overeater or the very concerned loved ones, the concerned, uh, you know, couple that are going through uh, troubling times in, in a marriage. Uh, we, we say that, you know, we have been transformed. I am not what I used to be. This program of recovery, specifically steps four through nine, um, have allowed me to be born again, not in my body, but in my mind. 
where old ideas, emotions, and attitudes that were certainly affecting a young marriage, as it was in my case, uh, have been cast aside and a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes now dominate me. I you know, no longer uh, experience the uh, lack of emotional intimacy or the lack of physical intimacy or the unpredictability, the inconsistency, the unreliability, the irresponsibility that um, was born out of my disease. The program of recovery, you know, when embarking on those steps, again, specifically steps four through nine, uh, as a result of those steps, I don't think the way I used to think, I don't feel the way I used to feel, and I do not behave the way I used to behave. That's a message of hope for a husband who's fed up, that comes to an open meeting to listen to what we're all about. That's a message of hope and possibility. That's a message that, you know what, this program works. We are changed as a result of this program of recovery, not through any personal success or any personal uh, power on our part, but the submission and the obedience to the application of these steps. We needed a new mind, a spirit-guided mind, And that's possible to receive through this process of the 12-step program. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Well, this is Rebecca, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And um, I really appreciate what everyone else had to say about what was read so far. And I just wanted to mention that um, this paragraph is referring back to the prior paragraph that was read on Friday, where um, family members of a newly sober um, addict um, might still be quarreling with them and arousing resentment and jealousy and might still be impatient because that person, while, you know, the blessed fact is that they might be sober, but they're still undergoing a period of growth. And um, so this paragraph that we read today, I'm getting from it that we're, um, these are instructions that we can use with the family members of the addict, uh, the compulsive overeater in our case, but also with just people in general. And um, that by telling someone about my experiences and using I messages, I can set someone on the right track without becoming critical of them, i.e. using you messages, which is how I always operated in the past. And frankly, it still comes up on occasion. (laughs) And I um, get in trouble for it and uh, have to do my work around it so that I can remind myself um, people don't want to hear me pointing the finger at them, you this, you that, but they do seem to um, be comfortable and more open if I speak about myself and my experiences and use those experiences as a teaching opportunity if I sense that someone might need to be directed to getting back on track. And with that, I'll pass. 
Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Okay. Um, our next reader is Chelsea. Could you take the next paragraph, Chelsea? Yes, thank you, Rebecca, for your service. This is Chelsea in South Jersey, recovered today. Assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles if we go to their houses. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. Okay, I'm still Chelsea. And for me, this part of the reading, what really comes out immediately is assuming, assuming we are spiritually fit. It's kind of like a, a qualifier of sorts because it takes into account for me, um, if I go to pages 84 and 85, we're on there where it says about how we have ceased fighting anything and anybody. So if I can go to all these places, it's promises, promises that if I recover, if I do the work and actually do the steps, then this big book is telling me that assuming I'm spiritually fit, I will have had my spiritual awakening, I've had that vital experience as necessary, I could go anywhere and not have to have fear because I'm supposed to be free now. I'm supposed to have had my freedom. I'm free from the bondage of self, and I'm free from the bondage of the food. That's if I've done the work. So what this says to me that if I'm feeling shaky, if I have an event or something coming up, and I'm feeling I'm all in angst and everything about it, and every time I share, I'm all saying how razzled or whatever I am. Oh, my goodness, I got XYZ event coming up, and they're going to be serving A, B, C, and D. Oh, I'm terrified. Then that means that there's something wrong with me spiritually. Am I spiritually fit? Assuming if I was spiritually fit, I wouldn't be in that frame of mind because I would be free. My mind would have been fixed. The greater part of my disease resides in my mind. We say it all the time on this line. That would have been removed, that obsession. So I would be able to go to the event and actually be a participant in the event. Actually, if somebody asked me how am I doing, I'd actually be able to have a conversation with them and be present for it instead of thinking about the ribs on the grill or the, that potato salad they have over there. Oh, my goodness, I wonder if Aunt so-and-so made her fabulous wings. None of that would be, it would be clamor. But the main thing would be I would be able to go because I know I wouldn't be going alone. I would not be going alone. Because if that source that's greater than myself resides with me and I've freed, I've cleaned house, and I continue to clean house to keep the pipeline open, I'm not alone. It's always there. It's going with me. So I don't have to have fear. I don't have to have doubt. And if I do, my natural um, instinct then would be to turn. Maybe I may have to go off and call a fellow. I have a network of people that I can tap into especially for times when self creeps up. Somebody that could tell me, you know, your selfish and self-centered slip is hanging, Chels. You need to put that in check. I can go to events. I can go to things without fear. And to me, these promises of recovery are in this whole section right here that I just read. The, um, all the different things it lays out that we should be able to do. And they're very straightforward. And this is the guarantee. 
as long as I do the work. And doing the work will give me that vital, that vital psychic change that we need to have in order to, it has to be vital. So um, this is what I got out of that paragraph, and I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to be living free today. Um, Sometimes I get overwhelmed just so my cup runneth over is what I usually say because I just truly feel that there is such a relief to live life as life comes at you and to know that there's someone with you all the time. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Chelsea. Would anyone like to share um, this paragraph? This is This is Luella. What page are we at? Yes. Wow. Okay, so I have no idea how many people spoke, but the only two names I heard were Sally and Paula. So who else wanted to? Wow, Luella. This time Chris, Larissa. I, <laughs> this time I think I heard Sheila and Larissa. And then Kim. And Kim. And Chris. Did you say Chris? Yes. Okay, so yes, far Chris. we have... Okay, let me just say who we have so far. Sally, Paula, Sheila, Larissa, Kim, and Chris. Did I get everyone? Sally, it's your turn. Okay, thank you. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Sally, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I heard someone say, what page are we on? And we are on the bottom of page 100. And uh, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends. It goes on to say we must avoid moving pictures. We must not go into bars. Uh, we, must not, uh, we must hide their bottles if we go to their houses. We mustn't think or be reminded. And so what I see here, besides the fact that, of course, we see a whole bunch of our musts, but I see a lot of control tactics. And that was who I was for 30 years in OA. It was all about avoiding people, places, and things. That's what I was taught, and so that's what I tried to do. But how do you avoid your own children when they are a trigger? And, of course, that was a huge problem. But when I read, assuming we are spiritually fit, first of all, I'm reminded, page 25 tells us right in the middle of the page, I don't think it's an accident that it's in the middle, that... Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. It goes on to say it again at the bottom of the page. Uh, It says, this hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Of course, the word vital is very important, essential, indispensable, life-supporting, That's a very powerful word. And and, and again, it says, assuming we are spiritually fit. And so what I see here is a condition is being set up. We have a condition. If we are spiritually fit, we can go anywhere. That's what we're told in the story of Roland Hazard on the bottom of 26. It says that this man still lives and is a free man. 
He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. Here's the key. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided there's the condition, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And the attitude that is provided is the vital spiritual experience that's spoken of later in in that page twice. So back to page 100, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. And so when I look at these sentences, and of course we're about to run into page 102, which was for me the key, one of the keys, but certainly a key for me getting finally abstinent after years of relapse. It says at the top of 102, go or stay away, but whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. This was a key sentence for me, especially where my kids were involved, because my kids presented huge triggers for me, and it never failed. When I visit my kids um, in New York, I would do a triple somersault right into a pool of food by the end of each visit, until finally a sponsor said to me, a sponsor had the guts to say to me, you can't go. You don't have a good, solid spiritual platform to stand on, Sally. You have to wait. You just have to wait until you're spiritually on solid ground. And I waited over four months to see my kids and my grandkids. And when I did go, I went for three hours. That's all I could afford to go. I couldn't take a chance. Does that mean I can't go now? Of course, I've gone for, for over a week to visit them because now I'm on solid spiritual ground. That's what this paragraph is saying to me. It's telling us clearly that at one time in our lives, we, we lived in a, a series of control. Try to control. Try not to go near it. Don't go near that smell. Don't go near that restaurant. Don't go near that experience. That isn't the case anymore. I can go anywhere, assuming I'm on solid spiritual ground. Thanks for letting me share with that I pass. Thank you, Sally. Paula, you're next. Paula? This is Paula, Recovered Compulsible Rita. I want to, that first word, assuming we are spiritually fit, assuming to take for granted I will never never take this for granted someone says do you do as much as you did in the beginning oh no oh no I do far more I don't read the awakening the evening review the 10th step today I live it and I do line by line and I question myself were you Paula Were you what you said? Were you free of? Did you enter today? Did you enter today? Or are you still in yesterday? Every line. And I will tell you, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to be. I am no longer who I was. I am who I am. I ask God every step of the way. But there's a real long sentence, if you notice. And I'm not going to say it all because that long sentence took me out of life, didn't bring me into life. Well, you can't do here. You can't be there. You can't. Oh, no. We have ceased 
fighting anything or anyone. What a life. It's a life to be lived. Spiritually fit? Oh, yes. I do the same things, and I live the same way. God is my guide. With that, I will pass and anxiously await to listen and learn even more. Thank you again. Thank you, Paula. Sheila, you're next. Good morning, Sheila. It's from New York. So much has already been said. Survivors are grateful to be with you all this morning. Um, 
love what's already been shared. Uh, so for me, this paragraph evokes the antithesis of, you know, this is instead of seeing what we could pack into the stream of life of what we could do for others, which is what we're instructed to do, to check on in our night view. This is this is a check out from life. This is saying, I'm, you know, my disease is more important than showing up for other human beings. And so much of regular OA taught me that I should be mindful of people, places, and things and avoid them. And today, by God's grace, because I am in fit spiritual condition, I can go anywhere on this earth. And I'm reminded of, um, with my family of origin, and some people have spoken already about the family triggers, you know, my, my family was a dry well that I would go to thirsty. So I would show up for any family function and not receive because I was so empty. I was looking for all of them to fill me up. And today I'm able to go with a spirit of patience, love, tolerance, kindness, and goodwill. I'm able to be filled up with God going in that door and see how I can be of service to them. So from the moment I walk in the door, it's not about me and what they can do and give to me. It's about what can I contribute to the situation. This is true for weddings. This is true for family events. All the things that used to be such turmoil um, when I was living in the throes of this disease. And, and again, for me, it's the reminder that all of this stuff is focused on the symptoms. The bottles were but a symbol. Alcohol was but a symptom. The root cause of my disease is that I want life to go the way that I am comfortable. And if anyone around me or anything around me is making me ill at ease in the world, I was seeking an escape valve. And food happened to be that solution. And it was a solution that almost killed me. Today, I know that if anything is unsettling in the world around me, God is there to guide me through these steps. Where I can just climb on board to let life be what it is and to not need it to be my way. What a miracle. So I love the hope in both of these paragraphs that we are reminded that, you know, very difficult family situations can be resolved and we can share that with others to inspire hope. And here again, this notion that we can go to the most sordid place on this planet if our purpose for being there is to be with you. God will keep us safe and protected. The paragraphs to follow will teach us that as well and reinforce it. But it's what a miracle that it's not about me. It doesn't have to be about me. And people don't have to walk on eggshells around me or not have stuff or have stuff or call hostesses ahead of time to see what they're serving. For God forbid they serve something that might be a trigger. I don't have to do that anymore. I can show up, be part of the stream of life, and God keeps me safe and protected as long as my purpose for being there is not all about me and what I'm going to get in this situation. So thanks so much for letting me share. Thank you, Larissa. Kim? Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, this word spiritually fit, that's what everyone is talking about. And that's a very specific thing. You know, I think for so many of us, well, we go in this book and we use the book against us. Assuming we're spiritually fit, well, when is that? Is that when I'm two weeks abstinent? Maybe when it's when I'm two months. Maybe at two years I can do this. Spiritually fit has nothing to do with abstinence. Abstinence is our problem. What abstinence brings us is restless, irritable, and discontent. Spiritually fit is very specific. It's when we've completed the steps and we have experienced those 10-step promises. 
So it doesn't mean, well, today I feel good, things are going my way. I can say a couple prayers and then I can go into this situation, even though I've only been abstinent for 16 days. Spiritually fit has to do with have you worked through the steps? Have you had that spiritual awakening? And on page 84 and 85, it tells us what that is. Do we have neutrality around the food? If we do not, we're not spiritually fit. Are we cocky or are we afraid? If we are, then we're not spiritually fit. We cease fighting anything or anyone. If we're, if we're fighting any, everything and everyone, we're not spiritually fit. So I know for myself, I've been in meetings where people have raised their hands and they said, I'm asking for six years, six months, four days, and three minutes. And the tension that is coming off of them because they are living in abstinence only. They are not spiritually fit. They can't go anywhere. We're hearing some fellowship stuff right now. People, places, and things. It's not the big book. If your recovery is based on people, places, and things, you probably haven't worked the steps. You haven't had your miracle wake, miracle wake, uh, spiritual awakening. And that word trigger, that's not in the big book either. I'll tell you what my biggest trigger is, being awake. When I'm awake, anything can trigger me. If you're at the point, which I know in a lot of meetings, you can't say any foods, we're not going to say the word cake because it'll trigger somebody. If your recovery is so fragile that the word cake is going to break you eat, you're not spiritually fit. And I do think it's funny because why is it any different when we say that round thing with candles that we get at our birthday? I mean, it's ridiculous sometimes. But that's what, if we are not spiritually fit, we need to understand we need to protect that abstinence. Yes, we need to avoid those situations. But what is going to get us to be able to handle that is work through the steps. The steps will give us a neutrality around the food. The steps will have a cease fighting anything at anyone. The steps will help us be not cocky or afraid. So spiritually fit has to do with the steps. It has nothing to do with absence. Because let me tell you, going to a meal with a bunch of abstaining compulsive overeaters is one of the most frustrating things I've ever done. I mean, the fights over which restaurant and what, you can't have this on the, on the, on the plane. You can't have this on the dinner. And we can't sit near the kitchen and we can't do this. And blah, blah, blah. That is not recovery. Recovery, when you're spiritually fit, you have a neutrality. You're not cocky. You're not afraid. You can go anywhere, anywhere. And if that is not your experience, use that as a motivator to work these steps. If you are in the process, recognize you are not there and protect your abstinence with everything that you can while you work through this process. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Chris, you're next. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm a compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, I'd like to share on this paragraph, um, and how do we do these steps? Well, the steps are in the first 164 pages, and what we've read today are principles. Um, after being able to, to work the 12 steps as a result of working them, now I'm in the position of being recovered where food is just a symptom. And this paragraph is telling because if food was my, was my problem all along, I still would be having problems. But as a result of really being able to get down to these steps and picking up those spiritual tools, now I can be in harmony with the world. 
And, um, and I'm so grateful for these 164 pages. And notice where this chapter, I know this is a vision for you where we read uh, paragraph by paragraph, but it's important to be able to... It's important to be able to look at this paragraph and to be able to see that it is placed in a position after the 12 steps. And I can, and, and so there's work that I need to do, and, and I can't do that work just by listening to phone meetings. I need to, to be reading the, the, the uh, big book and to be able to be applying these steps and, um, and to be able to be doing what, what was asked. And I'm so grateful that it is so clear in these first 164 pages how to be able to, to, be able to work these steps. And I know I'm on shaky grounds if I'm not doing step 10, 11, and 12 and being able to be plugged in, plugged into God because it's God that keeps me abstinent. And that food is just a symptom. And, um, and all I have is just that daily reprieve contingent on my spiritual basis. So the question is, and, and I can't be a two-stepper of being able to just go through step 1 and 12. I have to be able to, to do these steps as it's written in the big book. And, um, and I'm just so grateful that there, that there is a solution and um, to be able to have it have it in this big book has been um, has been extremely helpful, and that's where the word recovered, and being able to look at food is just a symptom as long as I'm in fit spiritual condition. So I'm just grateful to be here. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Chris. This is Rebecca. This is Sharon. May I share? Sure, Sharon. Go ahead. Thank you, Rebecca, and thank you for everybody that shared on the line. I just need to hear these things over and over again and keep working those steps. What this reminds me of, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all things that alcoholics aren't supposed to be able to do. And this reminds me so clearly because I'm understanding today I have to be so aware of that mindset that's going on with me, you know, that restless, irritable, and discontent and sometimes that can be subtle, and if I miss it, I am going to set myself up. And it just reminds me <clears throat> so much today of the <clears throat> story of Jim, <clears throat> excuse me, in the big book, where he was just a little irritated, and it even said he, had, he hadn't uh, enlarged on his spiritual condition. And so that um, mindset was what set him up, you know, to go and then believe that he could have a little bit of whiskey with his milk, even though that wasn't his intent when he walked into that uh, bar. He was just going to have lunch. And so that's what I'm seeing today, the, uh, the just the importance that I must put on uh, keeping those steps clean four through nine, keeping my mindset clean four through nine, because that is what will send me back to the food. And I, I have to be humble before God and say, Lord, help me, because I, am, um, I can deceive myself very easily. So I must be diligent about when those thoughts come into my mind right away. I need to do something about that. And then I can be free, and I have been free since um, <clears throat> working these steps and continuing on with step nine. But it won't stop after that, you know. Then step 10, 11, and 12 are 
what I hear now, too, are the growth steps, not maintenance steps, but the growth steps, because I will continue to have that uh, mindset, um, but, and that's what, by working these steps, will diminish and decrease that, that subtle um, mind attitude that I must not ignore, I must not ignore, I must immediately do something, and um, I have been given all the tools in these in these readings and in the book and in the steps to know what to do. And the bottom line is I can't do any of it without God. So that's, that's the bottom line. So thank you for letting me share and thank you for everyone else that has shared today. It's been so helpful to me. Uh, and with that, I pass. Thanks, Rebecca. Hi, this is Julie. I would like to share. Deborah, may I share? You know, um, we're almost out of time, so we'll say Julie and was it Deborah? Yes. Okay, Julie and Deborah. Hi, this is Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater from California, and I just love this paragraph. You know, assuming that we're spiritually fit. When I first came back to program, I was not spiritually fit, so I could not bake cookies for my kids. I had done that before, and it didn't work out good. So, and I, I, I knew I was like fragile, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. I, you know, I was a farthest. I'm as abstinent, like Kim said before. I mean, that's that's not how I gauge if I'm spiritually fit. And I can remember going to a, a big book study years ago and they were talking about how Bill would carry whiskey in the, his trunk. So when he would, you know, try to get people, you know, when, I guess when you're, you're coming off the alcohol, they have to drink some. But he was spiritually fit. He wouldn't have had it in his trunk if he still had that raging craving and the obsession. And it's like today, you know, I, um, again, it has nothing to do with time, but I can bake my children cookies because of the work that I do every day. I am spiritually fit today. But if I didn't meditate this morning and I didn't meditate tonight and I didn't ask God for direction in an hour from now, I wouldn't be able to bake cookies a week from now. So, you know, assuming I'm spiritually fit and that means I've had that spiritual awakening or that spiritual experience as the result of working these steps and living these steps. And I do my 10 and 11 and 12. So, yeah, you know, I can go... Anywhere today, as long as I am doing and living this program. So I just want to thank everybody. It's just a blessing to be here. I'll pass. Thank you, Julie. Deborah? Press star one, Deborah. This is Deborah. I needed to unmute. Good morning, a vision for you. And um, thank you for being here to study and read and teach and practice. And, you know, we meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. And I, I thought of going back to the doctor's opinion, um, men and women drink essentially because they like the effects that, and that the um, to them their alcoholic life seemed the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented until they can experience again ease and comfort. And if that's what I'm still looking for, I haven't done, you know, in the past. You know, that was my clue. Um, and with, thankfully, being in re, 
a recovered compulsive overeater, and uh, through these steps, it's good to keep my history green because I used to feel very much <laughs> like what it described me in the doctor's opinion. And by the grace of my higher power, I've been given that freedom. We're not using I needed to do the work. Quarter. And I am very much, you know, we can meet these conditions every day. And if I can't, um, I still have an alcoholic mind. And that is the simple test. And um, I was away this weekend. I, I am one who, you know, does take a lot of my food with me because I didn't know what they she had there. I've well. been at this location before for a retreat, and they had, you know, a variety of things. They've got other clients besides just the overeaters meeting there. And it was interesting to hear how well. others, well, Excuse there was me, something Deborah. in those. Yes, Deborah, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but someone's line is unmuted and interrupting, Deborah. Could you please star one to mute your phone? I'm sorry, Deborah. Go right ahead. That's okay. Um, I am just, you know, and, and with these steps, uh, the, the point, you know, being, assuming I am spiritually fit, I feel working these steps day after day, living in 10, 11, and 12, and in my side of the street, I peacefully sat there, you know, as they, the disease, spoke of how their excuses were, how they ate this thing, and then they weren't feeling good. You know, I saw the same thing and said, I don't know what's in that. I'm not going to eat it. I will eat the starch I brought. And that, for me, is living life on life's terms. And, you know, if I don't know, um, I can ask, and if I can't find somebody to ask, then I don't go, well, you know, I don't even, I spiritually fit, says, I don't play with fire, and for that, I am grateful, and I pass. Thank you, Deborah. I'm so sorry for the distraction. Someone's phone is unmuted, and there is noise on the line. I'm going to pause briefly while everyone checks. Oh, that sounds much better. Um, this is Rebecca, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And what I'd like to share on this paragraph is about we must shun friends who drink and um, how this program applies to me with regard to that particular phrase is that, uh, dear dear friend uh, invited me on vacation and um, she perhaps is a compulsive overeater and there were others invited who were also perhaps compulsive overeaters and um, I was I got into my head about whether or not I should go because I'd be subjected to being with compulsive overeaters 24-7 for a week and um, luckily, I have a wonderful sponsor who and a method of dealing with these concerns, which is to go to my sponsor and talk to her about it. And um, she helped me to see that this program teaches me to practice these principles in all my affairs. And since I am spiritually fit, 
I can go on vacation with compulsive overeaters, and it is not my place to shun my friends who overeat. And I can enjoy time with them without judging them or thinking that they're going to impose their ways on me negatively. And that I can go in a spirit of love and um, compassion and tolerance and patience and um, have a good time. And so I cleared that um, negative thinking before I left my home and I was able to go and enjoy their company and uh, show up as an example of what this program and what God can do for us without trying to change them or uh, shun them. And with that, I'll pass. And um, it's the end of our meeting. I think there may be others who want to share, and luckily we have another hour in which to do that after uh, we wrap this portion of the meeting up. Um, So thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Judy B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. This is Judy B., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.